Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. And welcome to the Pragmatic Product Check series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we are extremely, extremely excited to have with us Yasmin Tahi, who is going to... she. And she brings to us a ton of experience. She's the founder of Modern Product, which is a product marketing consultancy firm. She is an author of Product Marketing Debunked. She is the editor of Product Lunch, uh, which talks a ton of different go-to-market and product marketing tips, lots of articles, lots of best practices, lots of experience, and a lot of passion. So welcome, Yasmin. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I'm so happy and excited to be here. Yes. All right. So I know you've you've written many books. You've worked with many CEOs. This is an area you have deep, deep passion. But for those listeners who may not be familiar with you, give them a little bit of your background, your history, how you got where you are today and what led to this kind of passion. Yeah, absolutely. So I have had a lot of diverse career experiences in my tenure. I worked in business development. I worked in mergers and acquisitions. I went to business school. And then I actually started working in tech back in New York. And when I started working in tech at the time, there were only two different industries really available in tech in New York, which was ad tech and then fintech. So I joined an ad tech startup at that time. And the role that I started with was a commercialization, go-to-market kind of role. So I got my hands really deep into the world of go-to-market very early on in my career. And then, of course, you know, rounded out my experience with a lot of different types of marketing roles. And I worked at different you know, marketing accelerators. I worked in-house for a lot of different industries and verticals. And about five and a half years ago or so, I decided to kind of by accident, start my own agency because I took a little bit of time off to write my my book on product marketing, which uh, launched. And I think it was like in 2018. And what happened was a lot of friends from my community in Silicon Valley and beyond were reaching out to me to ask for support in launches or launches that did not go well, or, you know, kind of go to market expertise and advice. And, and in some cases coming in and setting up the entire product marketing and go-to-market function. And so I actually have come into a lot of companies to help them build out that function or build it out in a way that feels like sustainable for the long term. And so since then, I've worked with about 25 companies across a variety of growth stages and verticals. I've worked in fintech and ad tech, neurotech, health tech 
privacy, security, you know, fairness, I mean, you, you name it. I've worked in like so many different types of industries and mostly software. I would say I've skewed a little bit more heavily towards B2B rather than B2C, mm. but I've de- definitely had exposure to both. I've, done, I've worked on some consumer apps and consumer products. And I've done some hardware as well as software a couple of times now. So yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. And you know, I've seen so many patterns across the board. And so now when I go into an industry that I don't know much about, I think that's for me like less of an issue and more about the cohesiveness of the team and the communication of the team and the way the team really can flesh and work together and support each other. I can tell usually very early on you know, how much energy expenditure is going to, it's going to take to have a successful launch just based on that kind of indicator alone. So I think, first of all, your, your background fits a lot of the people listening, not necessarily the breadth, but right, the heavier focus on B2B, heavier focus on software. But I think one of the things that's really interesting as I've, as I talked to you and we prepped in this and, and I've read some of your materials is there is some real commonalities, right? In terms of how we sort of build systems and processes. So so I can see why people are like, hey, can you come in and build this sort of structure? Help us put in place a scaffolding that we can build on. So I would love to like dive into what some of those principles are. Some of those things that you know, like you talked about communication and cohesiveness that you're gonna wanna put in place no matter sort of what size company or where you are. Right, right. Absolutely. So the first thing I like to do is just get an understanding of where product management is in its roadmap and the way that they're thinking about packaging and features and whether or not they've tiered those features. So like having an understanding of what is considered, you know, tier zero, which is like a high impact feature for a launch, what's considered a tier three, which is maybe, you know, more of a backend feature that's going to be launched. I think that alone, if that is that structure is not in place, it becomes really difficult to understand how to package and price products and how to understand how they all fit together within the the framework of, of the entire kind of product packaging pipeline for the year ahead or even years ahead. So that's the first step that I take, like really doing a lot of due diligence, understanding like how different teams are speaking to each other, whether product is working really closely with marketing or if they're just engaging them at the very last stage of the process. You know, I think one thing I've noticed too is marketing is a very important function within every tech startup. And yet I think product marketing is very much misunderstood uh, within the the context of marketing. And because it's not really just marketing, right? It's, it's a mix of product management. It's a mix of operations. It's a mix of pricing and it's a mix of marketing. And so, you know, that skill set is sort of something that you need the experience to be able to understand how the interdisciplinary pieces work together. So I also take a look at the marketing team and try to get a sense of like who on the marketing team has that kind of interdisciplinary experience, that product experience, right? And I think you need both, right? Like you need the, you need folks who know how to tell a story, who probably skew a little more heavily on the brand side, but maybe are less exposed to product and technical, you know, the documentation piece, I would say more mid funnel or lower funnel. And so my job is to really take a look at where does the company want to go? What are their goals for the year ahead, a couple of years ahead? And how can we reverse engineer a process and a go-to-market strategy and also the right marketing assets for what we want to target. I think so many companies make the mistakes of just building marketing assets. Like that's usually the first thing people say, like, hey, we really, you know, we're having this launch. We'd love for you to build out assets. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, 
let me, let's actually, if you go slower in the beginning, you'll be able to move faster. And, you know, it's something people oftentimes, like if they don't trust that process, they sort of learn it the hard way. Like I've had, you know, some folks not, not listen or maybe consider the due diligence, the market research process to be like, you know, lower priority. And it eventually comes to bite folks in the butt because it, it's a mix of art and science. You know, it's I, in product marketing. I talked to so many product marketers about this. It's, it's a role that unfortunately, there's not as much transparency in the impact made until it's gone. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when it's not there, <laughs> so, you know, you know, that there's a lot of miscommunication, you know, janky launches, a lot of, I would say, lack of strategy around packaging, positioning and pricing, and also customer confusion. So that's kind of what I try to indicate and tell senior leaders and CEOs. But, you know, I'm going to, I'm a hard advocate for product marketers everywhere. I think it is one of the most challenging and most rewarding jobs. And so I, you know, I'm sure that a lot of product marketers get a little frustrated when you're speaking to someone who's done very little due diligence themselves on the function mm-hmm. and how it could work. Working with a CEO who knows very little about product marketing just means that I have to spend a lot more of my energetic and emotional bandwidth having to educate them. And oftentimes like that premium, that sort of that energy is not oftentimes accounted for in the accounting ledger. And so, you right. know, so they need to, you know, take a little bit more, I think, of a priority in really understanding the role. And there's a ton of great literature and books. I mean, in the last couple of years, so much has come out. So I think it's just a laziness, you know, on most people's parts and not really educating themselves around what product marketing is and what it isn't, how to utilize product marketers and, and help really give people the, the sort of trust in in the way the process works because it works you know it's proven to work it's you know there's a lot of product marketers who can write case study after case study around the ways that they have um, supported a product launch so I'll pause there I can go on and on Rebecca no 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 it's great I have like eight I have like taking notes I'm a big note taker so I've got lots of different areas to dig in on and a couple things that you said I think just about taking stock of where you are which you do as a consultant but I also think really works for someone who is certainly coming in new to a team but also like, you know, you can always take stock of where you are in the middle of a stream. And so you, you looked at a couple of different places where you take stock. Like first one was like the sort of idea of tier zero, tier three. I think when you think of releases and launches, oh, sometimes like everything is, is launched and everything's a big priority. And then that's really hard to make that seem strategic and really hard to bring each of those items to value. And it's really hard to prioritize our own efforts. So I thought that was a really smart like, hey, like let's like really break down what we're talking about from a launch perspective and a focus perspective to make sure that we are really zeroing in on and focusing on those big items that matter most to our bottom line and matter most to the market. Right. Yeah. And I and it also makes me think of, I think, price and packaging. It is a lever not all product marketers think to use. And it is one of the most powerful levers we have. And I also think one that is maybe gives us the most demonstrable results and impact, right? If you've got a a CEO who's not really sure what product marketing can do, and we really are focusing in that pricing and packaging place, you can really move the needle in some powerful ways. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, you know, and I think it's interesting, like when it comes to the pricing conversation, I think a lot of people don't take like enough risk. And of course, like every industry is so different, right? So if you're in an industry where trust is a big issue for customers and you have like kind of less risk to play with, but for most like SaaS, like marketing software companies, like I've, I've just been sort of fascinated and surprised at the level of openness that customers have to changes in, in pricing. So I would, I always tell folks, especially at their earlier stage, to really experiment with pricing and, and use beta tests as an opportunity to try out pricing. And then also, you know, when, it, when we're doing beta testing, I often tell folks to make sure that they always explain that the product is not free. Because like, I think the words mm. that we use are really important when it comes yes. to product marketing and talking to our customers. Like we always want to say something is complimentary and that like this is this is worth this much money, right? And that over a period of time, you know, it will default to this amount. So just really always being very careful around how you kind of associate a price with a product, right? Because money is just energy. It's like the amount of energy that you're giving to a customer is also something that should always be recognized and really respected. I think that language is really important internally as well, right? Yes. To give the item and the product enough focus internally, right? If we think of it just as free, it you know your salesperson doesn't talk about it anymore because it's just included. And maybe it's harder to get a development time to improve it because it's a free piece versus part of our ability to deliver this solution, to deliver this value. It's really important. That language, I think, is super important internal and externally. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I also think like getting a little bit more clarity around talking about things more as like offers, you know, mm-hmm. and an investment as opposed to what something costs right? And there's this, it's so interesting, just that language shift itself, like really changes the mindset of a customer. I spent a lot of time really studying, you know, this type of the world of understanding, you know, people's psychology. And I think that's really important as a marketer to understand how to tell a story and, and what feels like it resonates with customers. And also being able to really effectively communicate your message internally. That just isn't, I can't, I can't like highlight that enough. I think that's of all my experience, I think I've seen that as like the ultimate breakdown. You know, if a CEO founder or leadership team, they don't know how to communicate effectively and also like communicate in a way that other everyone understands, right? Mm-hmm. I think what I've also noticed is that people who oftentimes have like thought leadership or industry knowledge and are experts in their field or very technical forget that so many people are not talking about things the way that they're talking about. It takes people a lot of time, a lot more time to actually get it. So I have a lot of sympathy for customers. And I think I, I understand that about the customer, right? And so I think it's important that we practice that also in-house, that we really you know, over-communicate, you know, simplify the complex so that everyone gets it, right? Even the engineers from a go-to-market perspective get, you know, what we're doing with this with this launch. I think for me, that's been one of the most eye-opening parts of the process. Like, you know, because oftentimes I'll join a company and someone will say, oh, you know, you don't need to talk to our engineer. You know, let's just, let's just talk to our product manager. And I think like if you're creating boundaries or walls within the go-to-market process, to me, it just feels like such a missed opportunity for there to be a lot more clarity across the board, right? And like, yes, of course, it's going to maybe eat up 
a little bit of time, but that little bit of time could actually create so many green lights for an engineer to then influence the product roadmap once he's getting information from the customer and how how we plan to tell that story. And I also think it just helps with engagement, you know, like engineers are actually very excited to like learn about how we're telling that story, feeling included in the process rather than just sitting in like some remote building, you know, punching out code. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of been, been my experience. Well, I think, I think that's such an important thing, again, sort of talking to everybody and getting them on board for, I think the main reason is, and you, you talk about this a lot in your work is that as product marketers, we're responsible for everything, but we don't own anything, which means that we have to lead people to where we want them to go. We can't just like manage and dictate our way, our way into, into having it. It's not right. It's, it's, it's a, a big part perspiration and it's like an equal part inspiration. Right. Right. And that's why grounding them in the impact of their work and not just telling them once, but doing it regularly and continually is so important. Yeah. Imad Kazi talks about how we're responsible for, you know, everything, but we own nothing. And I think, you know, it's just, I couldn't agree more. I think that it's, it's so fascinating how we oftentimes have to kind of make an impact right away to build trust and to like get people to support us. And so that's often something I I try to tell, you know, folks who are joining early, like try to own something, right? Take a little bit of ownership for something and make an impact right away. So people do feel like you're adding value from an output perspective. And then in the interim, of course, you're still building that kind of diplomatic lines of communication between all the different cross-functional teams. I think that's such an important and critical point, right? Like really being able to communicate with all different types of teams. And I think, you know, we have to keep a neutral point of view. Our objective is about the long-term goal of the launch. And sometimes that might be at odds with a team's objectives. And so that is super interesting when that happens, right? Like there might be miscommunication around like, do your goals align with the company's goals? And if there is a disconnect, you know, what's the process for working those miscommunication pieces out? You know, do you go to someone on the senior leadership team? Do you have an executive sponsor? So, you know, it's not easy. I think in every mm-hmm. company, in every situation, it's it's sort of just depends. I personally try to explain all of this upfront before I join any team. I explain, you know, what might be an edge for the company, like where I see that kind of playing out, especially if if someone is senior and has kind of been seen as the the sort of creative genius or product genius and nobody questions them. And, you know, and that's great. Right. But I, but I think like whenever I find a situation where there's a company in which nobody is questioning one person, I get a little scared, <laughs> you know, mm, like, right. <laughs> yeah, you guys have over, there's an over dependence and an over index on one person's mind. And I think like the default should be the shared mind is actually the best mind, not one individual, you know, person's mind. And also that makes the company extremely vulnerable. You know, yeah. that person it's hard to needs, scale that way. Hard that to person scale. Might want to sleep or something. Yeah, or <laughs> or going like that. Or going right, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. So I would just say, you know, for leaders, bring in people that you trust and let them try things out. Let them make mistakes. That's how you learn. I'm always also so fascinated by companies who are just like, this has to be so perfect and polished. And, um, you know, in the, in the words of Reed Hoffman, I think is his name, from LinkedIn, he says, you know, if you if you're not embarrassed about the version of the product that you launched, then you've launched too late. Mm, that's great. You know, and it's so true. It's just like, well, just, you don't actually know what people want until you launch it. And again, 
if the industry is, is a vertical industry where, you know, it's, it's like fintech or you're working with someone's money or their health, then of right. course that's right. different. But for the most part, yeah, try, try it out and get information. You only learn by doing. So I just say like, just go for it, do it, experiment, try it out. It's not the end of the world. We're not like rocket scientists for the, for the most part. <laughs> we have a little bit of leeway to, to play around. It's one of the things I think is what makes product marketing the best role in the world, which I am obviously biased, but there's so much opportunity, right? But I also know, and and something you've talked about is it also comes with a, a lot of pressure sometimes, right? You don't have necessarily direct control and the it's not like super clear lines, you know, you need to color in. And so I think you've talked about some really great ways to help with that pressure right? And how to help get to really take advantage of the freedoms and the opportunities, but put enough sort of bumpers in place that you can succeed and that you will know what that looks like. And so will your CEO. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of mental health and making sure that we're taking care of our minds, you know, as well as our bodies and, and our spirit. So I oftentimes just create really clear boundaries. And I think, if a person is not going to respect your boundaries or respect, and of course, like, you know, boundaries have to be done with grace and a sense of team, you know, work. Mm -hmm. But I oftentimes just create boundaries for what works really well for me. And I explain that to him because I think a lot of people just don't know. I know when I can produce really good work and I know how that works. I'm, I'm very confident in what I'm able to do. And I also know when I need to take breaks and when certain environments are not going to produce the best outcomes for me, right? So I have like kind of very clear understandings of what those what those pieces are. And I think every product marketer should really take a glance at like where are the moments that create a little bit of too much of an emotional expenditure for you. And then you can get really curious about that. Like, hey, is that something that maybe I need to work on? Is that an interpersonal you know, exploration for myself, which I've done a lot of self-work over the last several years, because I do think because the role is so interdisciplinary, you actually like cannot avoid having to work out these like nuances with people. And I think everything that you put out in the world is really just a reflection of your inner world. So having a lot of clarity and spaciousness in your inner world, whether that's, you know, taking care of yourself before work, after work, uh, taking breaks, really getting clear about what excites you and, and really mentioning that to your team saying like, you know, like I'm really fired up about this particular project or these few projects and really enjoy working with this team. And, you know, I, that's where I want to spend more of my time and energy. Just getting really clear about, about that I think is awesome because I actually learned that, you know, most people who are not feeling creative freedom at work tend to create a lot of drama at work. Like it's mm. just, it's just an impulse within us in which we actually really need to express ourselves. So it's to everyone's advantage to give people the capacity to express themselves. Right. And if not, then it sort of turns, I think it gets like stifled within the, the system. Right. And it gets, you know, pushed out in another, maybe more negative way based in my experience. Yeah. And you know, what everyone doesn't want is drama in the workplace. <laughs> like it was, exactly. But it's interesting. You have this energy and this this need for freedom that is going to come out one way or another. And making sure you put structure in place to make it healthy is good. I think along with that too, like one of the hard things about being a product marketer is there's always more we could be doing. A hundred percent. I am going to have to not do things that I believe would be 
helpful, effective, and impactful. So I need to choose those with intention, right? And, I, and, and one of the areas we've talked about before is goals and objectives, right? Really clarifying those, not only for yourself, like you talked about, but communicating those. So that gives you a place to say, and we didn't do that, not because it's a bad idea, right. but because it wasn't pointed towards one of those things. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's you know, depending on the size of the company, there's of course this like you become this reactive place where people are like, hey, like sales is calling and sales want this sales wants this like one off deck. And I always tell folks like, get very clear for the quarter. What is it that you're working on? Put it into a spreadsheet. Put it you know into a prioritization numerical prioritization. And if people want to add to that, you can just say, hey, I have these six things I'm working on. If you want to add to that, please tell me which one I should deprioritize for the quarter. So that way you're always like switching things in out rather than adding things in. And because you know how much bandwidth you have for the quarter. I think also burnout is very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk to a lot of product marketers who talk about burnout. And yeah, and I think, you know, if you are interested in building a company with product marketers who are going to stay long term, I think honoring those pieces is really important. And I also think just having time for rumination, because I I don't know about you, Rebecca, but I've oftentimes got my best ideas about what to do with a product when I had a little bit of spaciousness and time. So like, it's not so much about every time you're just sitting at a computer doing work. It's about the, the sort of moments, the off moments. Just know that most product marketers are always thinking about their product. So even if it's, you know, you're going for a run or you're going for a walk, you're still kind of, there's always like an element of work at play. And I think having diverse life experience is going to make you an amazing product marketer because yep, you understand perspective and how customers think. And really like our ultimate, I think, superpower as a product marketer is really understanding the customer. And that is not an intellectual exercise. That is hmm. having the, the right life experience, having a lot of exposure to a lot of different types of, you know, worldviews, right? And I, it's just, you know, having having a lot of exposure, I think is huge for understanding customers. And and I think also, you know, I wrote about this in one of my books. I said, you know, I, I found my mom found my diary from when I was a kid. And I laughed so hard because I had actually found in my diary a bunch of letters to companies and I had written to them to tell them how much I loved their products. Nice. <laughs> You know, I was like, mom, I think I've always like, you always know, known, I've always yes. known, like who would have thought I just found I mean, I wrote to L'Oreal, I wrote to Nestle, I wrote to like clothing companies, record companies. That's and awesome. uh, I mean, there's like some cute stuff in there, like me writing about how much I love this like particular brand of chocolate, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> you know, and could have maybe gone into the food industry, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just was, I was so, I, so I always tell people this too, if they're thinking about you know, staying in product marketing or, or, or starting a career in product marketing that the question is like, are you interested in products? And, and what do you love about, about products? Like, you know, is that your, cause not everyone is, and, no. you know, and I just think it's fun. Like I've always been interested in, in trying things out. So I've been, I was the beta customer for all different types of social platforms. I think I was like first person on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Instagram, just not that I continued on all those <laughs> programs, but <laughs> But I was always super curious about trying things out. So that also makes, I think, a really good product marketer is like being very curious. I do. I think it is that well-rounded. I know like when I got my degree from the communication school at Syracuse, right? Like it was 
you know, 30 of your credits were in that school and the other 90, they were like, you got to go learn other stuff because you can't be an effective advertiser or, you know, journalist if all you know is the art of that, right? It is that wider breadth that allows you to be really effective. And I think that's, you're right, it's a truth that maintains as you continue to grow. It's great to absolutely passionate about the craft and care about the craft, but it's the breadth of other items too that you end up pulling in for some really innovative approaches to things. Oh, 100%. I love that. And I also, I, I love that so much because I think it's something that's not you know talked about very often. And I've noticed, especially going into companies where people are you know trying to tell me about their very complicated, complex product. And I'm like, it actually like that part, I think is like most people can figure out a product. And especially if you like read enough case studies and do you know your own ecosystem due diligence and you're reasonably intelligent, right? Like you can figure out a product. I think what you can't necessarily teach someone is all the other pieces of product marketing, which mm-hmm. actually just comes from experience. So it's so funny because a lot of times people get really caught up in like, do you understand our industry enough? Or do you understand our ecosystem enough? And I'm like, that to me is like the last question you should be Right, asking. yeah, exactly. There's so many other questions that I think are way more important for me to be effective. And I oftentimes think that people who stay in one industry Mm-hmm. for their whole experience have way less to offer. Like I'm probably going to get put a lot of pushback on this, you know, uh, because, because like they're sort of thinking in the same linear construct of their ecosystem. So they don't have enough of a mindset shift to really kind of see all the different ways people could perceive the product. That's also true for a product manager who's worked in like yep. one industry and he's got like a very, very strong POV about the product, but like he might be missing like, one of the most important pieces. And of course, you know, I, you know, I think most product managers are, are excellent. So I'm not saying, and, and I imagine that they have a lot of life experience, but in the cases where people are over indexing on experience of an industry or vertical, rather than all the other layers and pieces of product marketing, I think it's a, a massive misstep. Well, I mean, I think you start to accept as truth the way things are and the limitations that exist there, not even intentionally, right? But it's like, that's the path that this industry goes down. And they talk about, you know, we've got one of our clients who will go and be like, I send our people to trade shows in unrelated industries to hear the challenges they're seeing and seeing if there's ways we could leverage any of it, just like to totally break the model of thinking. And I think it's a similar thing. It, It can be career, but there are other ways like when we're just looking in one tunnel and one path, we miss some really creative things that that we could apply. Totally, totally. I mean, Steve Jobs even talks about this, you know, how taking a calligraphy class for him, like really inspired him, you know, when it came to building the type topography, you know, for the Apple phone. And it's just, you know, there's so many important lessons in diversifying mm-hmm. knowledge. So I'm always taking classes. Like I've taken the most random Right, classes. it's fun too. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And I think it's actually like an absolute must for product marketers. All right. One more thing I want to talk about, because I think this is an area too, that you're, that is, you can tell which advice, like I really need to remind myself of this advice sometime, but you talk about forcing clarity, right? And really making sure that you understand and that there's clarity and talk a little bit about what that means and some of the techniques you use, because I think they're powerful. Mm, Yeah, 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 absolutely. So It's so funny because clarity of vision for a product within an industry is incredibly important before creating all the kind of product marketing pieces. And without that clarity, what happens is like we're making decisions and we're sort of making commitments without having an understanding of where we're going. 
So that's something I, I have seen time and time again, where there might be also varying degrees of clarity across the board when it comes to different teams. So some one team might think that you know the vision is one thing, another team might think something different. And so we're all sort of moving in a very different direction. If you have clarity, you then understand exactly what pieces and processes and the how. But without that, and I think you know having having very important conversations with people and really just asking why, why this? Why are we doing this? Why is this important? Coming up with the the sort of five W's of go to market. You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Who's going to be working on it? And having a, a very very specific goal KPIs in mm-hmm. mind, really getting, you know, kind of nuanced about that. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks oftentimes have very lofty goals without a lot of, I would say, you know, details. Like, and I, I always say like, paint the scene, you know, what does it look like? What does it feel like a year from now, five years from now? And, you know, it might turn into something different, of course, on the journey as sometimes it does, but having at least an understanding of where you want to go, it'll give you enough ways to take action to move along. Because I think what I also have noticed is without clarity, people are literally moving in very different directions in the wrong direction. They're moving fast, but it's not really making an impact on where they want to go. And, you know, I, I actually see this time and time again, like sometimes I'll, you know, talk to product managers and I'm, or CEOs and I'm like, okay, tell me, what do you want to, you know, what do you want to accomplish a year from now? And if they are like spinning in circles or if they try to assume that like I need to be managing the product roadmap and like, and you know, as a product marketer, it's very cringeworthy. You're like, well, this is definitely a, not my area necessarily of expertise. Like I've definitely, <laughs> I've definitely had a lot of a say in the product roadmap, but I think creating the vision for the product itself, just for me, like that needs to come from, you know, that needs to come from someone who has more of a product understanding. And I could fill in a lot of the pieces from the customer perspective, my own thoughts on the ecosystem after doing due diligence. But oftentimes it makes me a little nervous when people, you know, assume that, you know, they don't really have a, a lot of clarity around like the product roadmap and they want you to sort of create the product roadmap. So that's, you know, that's something that I think is actually a big myth and common misunderstanding people have about product marketing. I think one of the reasons I like your sort of forced clarity is both, I think, important to ask sort of the next level questions ourselves. But I also think we are often big picture people, right? And so we get really excited and we're thinking big thoughts. And then we assume that your big thought and my big thought that we use like four words to shorthand is exactly the same. And we send people off. And and it's sometimes like we send off our own employees, our own staff. And you think, man, I did them a disservice. Uh, Yes, Mm -hmm. they could ask me clarifying questions and some of them do it very well. But also like I should inspire here, but give enough that's not a restriction, but enough that we know that we're aligned on where we're headed, right? Not that we are aligned on every step to get there, but that we've really got clarity on the goal state of where we want to be. Yes, hundred uh, percent, Rebecca. Absolutely, and I think even having for me when I when I run meetings, I oftentimes will have a goal in the meeting. Like the goal of this meeting is X Y Z, which fits under this like larger company goal. Everything we should be doing should have a goal. I think there's so many meetings these days that are a complete waste of time um, that could could have just been an email. So yeah, I I think clarity and having that in one document where people can all access is also very important. And even just there, that breadcrumbs to start any meeting or initiative, this is how this maps up to here. And you think, okay, great. It doesn't have to be long, but it is level setting. It's sort of what problem are we solving and why? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
All right. We talked about a lot of different things today. It was awesome. If you were going to get listeners to do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what are those two things you'd want them to do? Mm, I would say uh, force clarity. If you're not super clear about what you're working on and how that fits into a company's larger goal, I would create a meeting with whoever is at your company in a leadership position and ensure that you have as much clarity as possible for where you're going over the next year or two and how product marketing fits under that. You can also come in with an informed opinion on it. And then I think just you know, really getting a little bit more curious about your customer and also how your customers' opinions and sentiments may have shifted because of the pandemic mm. and mm. because people have moved into more remote work like and how those kind of smaller things may have not small, I wouldn't say small things, but how these situations may have impacted people in different ways and what that means for people's purchasing power and and so on. Yeah, no, it's true, right? Because knowing your market is never like a one and done thing. You've got to keep that. Everybody evolves and all the markets do too. Exactly. All right. You are a prolific writer in this space, and I know you love to share kind of your thoughts and your beliefs and sort of what you're doing. If people want to learn more from you and they want to access you, where would you like them to go? Oh, thanks for asking, Rebecca. So I have actually a lot of free articles. If you want to just start there on Medium, I have a publication called The Product Launch. I've probably written over 50 articles on product marketing. Actually, you know, I've been written up in many publications, Reforge, which is also growth marketing. And then you can also buy my books on Amazon. I have three books. My first one, Product Marketing Debunked. The second one is The Launch, A Product Marketer's Guide. And the third is Breaking into Product Marketing for those who are new to product marketing Mm -hmm. and want to learn about the interview process. And I also have a show on product marketing that I I have, two, I think, two or three seasons that was sponsored by ShareBird, where I interview some of the product marketing leaders across the world. Fantastic advice. And I'm always just, I I have an online course on go-to-market too, which people generally really liked. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I also do work with companies. So um, you know, pretty I have a pretty big waiting list, but if you are interested and also one thing I do a little bit differently is I spent 2 years learning about intuition and have a master certification in intuition medicine, so I use my intuitive skill sets with my product marketing business skill set and combine those together in my consulting. So, nice. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Yasmin. Really enjoyed this conversation and the insights you brought to the discussion. And just and it's a topic I love to talk to other people about who are as passionate as I am. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Rebecca. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>